Welcome to the Women's Football Podcast. My name is Chess Warren and this is our look at the beautiful game from the Champions League through to the National League and beyond. Joining me this week is Andrew Rayburn and former Sunderland player Charlotte Potts. Thank you very much both of you for coming on today. Delighted to be here Chess. Thanks for having me Jess. Good, good. Thank you so much for coming on. Now, last time we spoke, Charlotte, you were out in Switzerland in Luzon, but it didn't quite work out there. So just tell us a little bit about what happened and why you're back on the show today. I mean, there was red flags before I even went, to be honest. And uh, when I first arrived there, the situation, how I wasn't picked up at the airport and had to find my own way to the apartment, to the apartment, not just the train station, um, and there was just little little bits of losing trust the whole time I was there. Like, I mean, I didn't have my, uh, an apartment. I didn't have a room in the apartment. I was in the living room. Um, but then as soon as the obviously they breached the contract and due to non-payment, that's when I had to start asking questions. And that's when I had to start taking action, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so I played one game for them and I had actually asked for proof of the payment before I played because it was starting to concern me a little bit. I mean, I had been there two months and it's not a um, cheap place to live to start with. And obviously due to having financial difficulties before I even went out there, that's why I had the transfer in the first place. Um, And then obviously once I played the game, I actually got proof of the uh, transfer and that didn't happen. So the following week, uh, I I was asking questions and stuff like that. And the club's obviously in a bit of a difficult situation, which is understandable, but I couldn't afford to uh, put that stress on top of myself when I was into, I was getting myself into a good place mentally. So I came home and I had to battle with them legally to get released and to get my money back. It's a real shame, isn't it? Especially as in you were, you were in such a beautiful place, but I guess that's the reality of of football. Things things like this happen. It happens across the men's game. We're seeing it with with Derby and the issues that they're having there. It happens in the women's game. So thank thank you for thank you for coming on and speaking about your experience as well, because it is a real thing. And we we speak about the big leagues and everything going on there, but really this is kind of the re- reality, unfortunately, sometimes of being a footballer so thank you for no speaking I mean, about that football and politics eh? exactly thanks, tell, thanks, tell me about it thankfully I did sign with the Swiss PFA and they were very very helpful so that's really that's brilliant football. it's good that we're getting that kind of extra level of protection for for workers because footballers are workers but we are going to start in Europe this week with the Champions League fixtures. Now, we had another sold-out new Camp for Barcelona. Unfortunately, I wasn't there this time as they took on Wolfsburg to another world record crowd. And like the game against Real Madrid, it was goals galore. Now, Barcelona cut apart Wolfsburg. Bon Matti scored in the third minute and Hansen slotted home a second before the 10th minute of the game. They were up 4-0 before half-time. Jill Rod cut back a consolation goal, as it was her 25th birthday after all, before Puteus coolly slotted home a penalty in the 85th minute. The second leg will be played on this Saturday and that game ended 5-1. Charlotte, as a player, what do you make of a team like Barcelona? How would you analyse their play? I mean, it's a difficult one because obviously they're taught to play very, very creative. So... um... When you get creative teams like that, there's not always a way to analyse. You just have to go into the game and play the game as it is and smell the danger and sit back and just really organise, keep yourself nice and compact. Um, I'm not a big fan of going into over-analysing teams. I'm one of these who just like believe in whatever happens on the day. And as long as you focus on your style and focus on what you're doing, make other teams worry about you. But Barcelona, like I say, you just have to smell danger. Mm. Well, they have had a perfect season. They've played 40 games. They've won all of them. If they continue like this, they will win every game of the season in all competitions they've played in, which is almost unheard of. It will go down as one of those things like the Arsenal Invincibles in the 2000s. Oh. I mean, their intensity, by the way, is just unbelievable. The play is so fast. And I've actually just heard from a connection of mine that they actually train with the boys' academy. Like They play games against their boys' academy, which says it all. Mm. 
I mean, it's you can see it in the way they play. It's that it's the constant passing. They consistently in their games have two thirds of the passing ratio, so they pass twice as much as the teams they're playing against. And it's kind of how they control the great game. Andrew, what do you have to say about this Barcelona side? Well, I actually had uh, the fortune of of hearing from Jonathan Heraldes, the head coach himself, a few months ago um, in my day role as a, a production editor of Women's Soccer Coaching magazine. We had him as our uh, our cover interview uh, a few months ago. can't remember which issue it was now. Um, certainly before Christmas. Um, didn't do the interview myself. That was uh, that was uh, done by our, one of our writers. But um, yeah, I mean, th- 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 what's interesting, of course, is that that you know he took over after the the, the Champions League win, and kind of had to. He talked about adopting, uh, adapting, and adopting. I suppose so, adopting the style from from the previous season, but adapting it to his principles of of, of play, and that can be. Quite difficult. I think we've seen that in in teams before, where you've got almost. I know Barcelona haven't quite had long enough to build up a, a dynasty yet, and it wasn't like a manager like, for example, Astralix Ferguson, who was there for twenty five years. But when you had success under a previous head coach, how do you translate that? Even when you've got an assistant stepping up, because the assistant is going to want to do it their way. What one thing he kind of did say, and I, I can't quote him necessarily verbatim, but one thing he sort of suggested is, you know. He almost lets the players play. And it's very easy to say when you've got the quality they have and the Spanish league perhaps isn't necessarily the strongest, but of course they're proving themselves in Europe as well. It's very easy to say that, but at the same time, I think it's also quite a a clever idea really to give those sort of players ownership of things because really he needs to tinker around the edges. He doesn't want to be in too involved and getting his stamp on things because otherwise you end up, tipping the balance a little bit in equilibrium we end up sort of not having the same successes that you know so just try and tinker around the edges and that's what I think he's done to kind of produce his team with his performances and let's face it I mean the results speak for themselves yes okay they can beat a lot of teams you know one arm behind their back and standing on one leg sometimes but the big games and that's one other thing as well he, he did say that he he really focuses hard tactically on those big games and you can really see that they've got the luxury to do that but yeah you could really see that in in, in the biggest occasions they, they do come good yeah, it's yeah. Really in- what you're just saying there Andrew as well it's really important for coaches to do that as well look look at the players and the type of learning that they've had previously in their careers and actually learn from players to be able to make that success happen again I was recently talking to, talking to a successful manager actually and I applaud him for actually admitting that his best way of learning as a manager and a coach was by observing players and how they handle themselves. Like this was in the men's game as well. And I mean, I don't think you'll get many coaches who will admit that they've learned most in, in their career from the players. And I think there was there was criticism, wasn't there? Maybe it's a different time because it's 20 odd years ago now, but there was criticism of Senor and Ericsson when he was England men's manager of because he was basically had this kind of player group, senior player group, you know, Beckham, Scholes, Gerard, you know, the rest, and essentially seeking their advice. And that was kind of deemed not to be the English thing of, you know, it's where the manager has the overall control. And, you know, um, but of course, you know, Ericsson had great success on the continent and, you know, European football is done differently, um, or at least certainly, certainly was then and maybe English the English game has had influence from that in the last 20 years and, and maybe that is the done thing now. But absolutely, I say, why not? There's a lot of intelligent senior players out there. So It's funny you mention about the importance of players because that actually leads us very well onto the other semi-final tie. As Leon hosted PSG at the Group Amar Stadium, PSG hadn't had the best prep for this tie. As Kira Hamraoui, who's made headlines more off the field than on the field this season, was suspended by the club a day before the game after a scuffle broke out in training between the player and several of her teammates. It did start well, though, for the Parisians, as Marie Antoinette Katoto squeezed in from a tight angle in the sixth minute. Leon equalised in the 20th minute after Melvin Mallard had a shot saved by the keeper, but Barbara Wojtykova fouled Mallard in the follow-up. Wendy Renard, making her 100th appearance in the Champions League, slotted home the penalty. US international Katerina Macario made it 2-1 as her shot found the net 
which Wojtkova probably, let's be honest, should have saved. A horrible mix-up between Wojtkova, who, to be fair, wasn't having her best game, and Paulina Dudek saw Macario grab her second, Wojtkova misjudging a back pass and Macario sliding it in. Dudek got a goal back after VAR showed that Mallard had handled the ball. There was a lot of drama here. It was a very eventful game and unlike any other sa- uh, any other semi-final, Andrew, is it all to play for in the next leg? Well, certainly at 3-2, yeah. I mean, you've got to, you've got to say that uh, the first sort of opening salvos, first 20 minutes of the second leg is going to be crucial. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, a very eventful game. Um, and poor Votikova, not her best uh, night maybe. But um, yeah, I think certainly in the balance. And you have to say, uh, it will be the second leg to watch rather than the, uh, the Barcelona-Wolfsburg one, I think, which is probably a, uh, a, a done deal. Yeah, definitely. 5-5-1 five, five, on aggregate from that Barcelona game. It feels a bit signed, sealed, delivered. But the poor goalkeeper there had a nightmare, didn't she? It's like she had the mistakes on her mind throughout the game. Now, as a player, Charlotte, is it really important that you don't let previous mistakes in a fixture affect you? Or do you feel like sometimes it's too difficult to get them out of your mind? No, you've got to let them go. You've got to learn from them, but you've got to let them go as soon as possible because that sort of negative thinking causes mistakes to happen again but yeah that mix up it, cu- it couldn't have been easy no definitely it's definitely going to be one to play funny, back funny but... enough I was watching it back and uh, I know speaking about the Durham and Sunderland game but uh, the last Durham and Sunderland game that I played in I actually got injured as a result of a mix up very very similar to that um, the goalkeeper went to come out I had um two strikers running at me very, very fast. And I mean, it's easier to smell the danger when you've got, when you're facing it, when, when it's behind you, you don't know what's going to happen. And that was sort of the similar situation. The centre half had the back to, had the back to the runners. The goalkeeper has to make a mind up. We have to be able to put our trust in the goalkeeper to make, to be decisive. And it was a terrible mistake. Back in the UK in the WSL, then there were shock results, red cards, and upset this week in the return of the English League. The race of the title and third place Champions League qualification spot are roaring into action. The first game of the weekend was bottom of the table Bright uh, Birmingham's trip down to the south coast as they took on Brighton for Hope Powell's 100th game in charge of the Seagulls. Now, Birmingham, who had only secured five points in the league before pulled off a shock 3-1 win a goal from Sari in the ninth minute put the Blues ahead and Louise Quinn secured a second in the 75th minute and put away another one in the 88th minute Julia Ohm recovered a consolation goal for Brighton but the damage had already been done Birmingham now sit four points behind Leicester and they also have a game in hand Now, Louise Quinn, who is Birmingham's captain and centre-back, has now scored the same amount of WSL goals this season as the most expensive player in the world, Penilla Harder. How pivotal has Quinn been this season for Birmingham, do you think, Charlotte? Oh, fantastic. I mean, I haven't watched them a lot, but it's important to have players like that who are going to take ownership and really step up for the rest of the team. Hmm. Just her experience as well, obviously, uh, and I um, mean, yeah, <laughs> comparing a goal return with Penilla, Penilla Harder. But I mean, you talk about uh, you know what Harder may do as part of a team unit uh, with Chelsea. But you know, I tell you what, if, if Quinn manages to help Birmingham survive, and we'll come on to probably that in a minute. But uh, you know, she'll pro- probably prove to be. Uh, more influential for uh, for one team than 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 harder is because obviously harder surrounded by quality. Yeah, definitely. I know they're not like for like positions. I just thought it was very funny that they're both on five goals. But let's be honest. If even with some miracle, if Birmingham do stay up, do you think she's going to stay at the club after this season? She seems to consistently be their best player. I I think there'll be a question mark as to whether she stays with Birmingham. Andrew, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's, uh, you just don't know, do you? I mean, there'll be people looking at her and saying, yeah, let's, uh, you know, let's, let's, you know, because she was at Arsenal before that, obviously. So let's, you know, bring her back to a, a you know, a higher level, uh, you know, further up the WSL table. But 
you know, I think it depends on how happy she is. You know, I think that's got to be, you know, the player has the, I mean, we discussed earlier with Charlotte, uh, you know, I'm sure if things had gone better, you know, on a personal level and, you know, the, the, the Charlotte would have been happy to stay where she was. But obviously, you know, it doesn't matter how good the football is or otherwise or how good it's going or, you know, if you're, if it's going well and you're unhappy, you know, you're not getting in the team or you're not, uh, you know, things aren't going right for you. You, you, you know, you, you do want to seek team foot first team football elsewhere and I think the reverse is true that I think sometimes even if the team results aren't going that way if you're happy and you're settled there's no reason for her to look elsewhere necessarily you're absolutely right there Andrew I mean I've had two two clubs this season and no one I thought no one had ever thought that I would have left Sunderland again after going there five times I obviously at the later stage of my career 27 ambitious wanted to get Sunderland back up the super to the Super League no one knows what goes on behind the scenes. I mean, mine was a mental health issue. I went over to Switzerland in a beautiful, beautiful place, thinking you could, I could live there for a little bit longer, situation with the club. Um, you've got so many things to think about with football. You've got to think about your, your well-being. It's sort of like, as long as you feel whole as a person, that's where you're going to be the better footballer. And like I say, there's, even if they do get relegated, you might want to stay. Mm, that's a really, really good point. Up to Manchester, though, City close in on that third place spot with a convincing 4-0 win over Leicester. Three goals in the first half for the Sky Blues as they cemented themselves in front of their home crowd. Weir, Hemp and then 20-year-old Julie Blackstad with her first goal for City. Things slowed down, though, in the second half and the only goal conceded was a Greenwood penalty put away after Demi Lambourne fouled Hemp in the box. City also notably had 80% possession in this fixture. It was a cool collected performance from Manchester City. They are certainly back into their rhythm. Realistically, it probably should have been more. Or, Andrew, do you think that Leicester improved in their second half? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 difficult, isn't it? I mean, you see these, you know, results teams going, you know, a few goals up early on. Um you know, do is it then easy for the for the opposition to say, right, well, we've got we've got to just tighten up now, literally just, you know, five at the back, you know, even drop the striker into midfield, just keep it tight, keep it tight. Um, do teams ahead, you know, take their foot off the gas? It's it, You can't, you, there's no parallel universe where you'd see both teams, you know, as they were in the first half. So, uh, I, look, I, I think Man City are, as you say, back in their rhythm, who knows where they'd be if the season was a little bit longer, if, you know, carrying on this form or indeed if they hadn't started so badly. And I know they had injuries, obviously, which affected that. Um, and there's always going to be a gulf at present between a side like Manchester City and a side like Leicester, no matter what the form guide says. Um, so, you know, I think full credit to, 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 to Leicester for restricting City. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's always, uh, you know, uh, they're going to win that game City comfortably 19 times out of 20, I'd say. It's also really notable that Chloe Kelly played a full 90 minutes here. She got an assist as well. Charlotte, do you think it's too late for the Euros for her or does she have a chance? Especially now, unfortunately, Fran Kirby probably will be ruled out due to her ongoing health issues. You know what? I think they can be ambitious and I think they can push for the uh, for the last part of the season. Like you say, they're in good momentum now. They've got a couple of players back from injury. They've got a little bit more depth. Um, I think they need to think of them goals for next season. Hmm. What about Kelly, though? Do you think that she will get into that Euro squad? It's a tough one because obviously she's not just physically, but mentally. How is she mentally now? It's like sort of when you're coming back from injury, you've got to build back that robustness. And when you're building back that robustness, it's how you push through those mental barriers as you're performing. She's obviously played that 90 minutes now, but how quick is she recovering? How quick is she ready to play another game straight away? Is she training consistently with intention, with, in, with intensity every day? Because when you go through end of a big tournament like that, that's when, that's when it matters. Robustness, intensity. Absolutely. And I think obviously, you know, she may be helped by the fact that she obviously wouldn't necessarily be a starter, so she could make impact in, in games. But you're right. I mean, mentally, it could be difficult, especially with that sort of injury, because you're obviously quite nervous about it happening again. Um, but as a player, equally, let's take a look at the flip side, Charlotte. 
you know, if this tournament was was elsewhere, you know, maybe it might be different. But a home Euros, I mean, that's got to help mentally in a way, hasn't it? I know that the injury is the injury and everything else and the comeback, the recovery has got to be the same, you know, but it can motivate you, can't it? And, it, it, you know, she will, she will be desperate to try and get in. Oh, absolutely. That's going to motivate her all the way. But I think even you have to think of the manager as well of... Um, that's that's one place that she's taken up. Is she going to risk it just to have an impact player sitting on the bench, or is she going to want a player in case anyone does sustain an injury that needs to be in there in, in the squad consistently for starting? So um, it will. It, I'm sure it will hit her hard if she doesn't make it. But you can see that she's. You could see that her performance as she's pushing for it. Mm. Be really interesting to see whether she gets picked for the. Um for the friendlies that are happening in in June which will be really exciting coming up but down yeah, in the does. down in the south the hammers took 3 points at reading as a brilliant performance from Yui Hasagawa led west ham to vict- victory the game was level in the first half but the visitors came out strong in the second as 21 year old Emma Snell put away her first for the hammers from a Hasagawa assist then link up between Arsenal loney Lisa Evans and Hasegawa led the Japanese international to putting away a cool and composed second half goal in the 86th minute. It's a very nice textbook, sending the defender one way and then going the other if you want to catch a watch of that. Reading did get one back though in the 90th minute through a brace from Frey Brighton, but it wasn't enough. It was too late and West Ham took the three points. It was a really good performance from them. The link-up play with their signings are now starting to work out, and they're currently sitting sixth with 27 points. They have achieved the most points ever in this current WSL season. Andrew, what do you think is going right for them? I think, as you said, really, it's the the signings and everything starting to knit together. I think West Ham are one of those teams that in the last couple of seasons have tried various different things, um, various different approaches, uh, various different players. Uh, They've not necessarily been, I think it's fair to say the most consistent in terms of selection. Um, And that can, uh, you know, obviously when you get up to the top of the table, you do need uh, the strength and depth to dip in and, and, and make changes. But I think the teams that have have been more, uh, more consistent in selection further down tend to be those teams who, 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 pick up results more often than not and get into that sort of fifth, sixth, seventh place. You know, you look at teams like Reading and Brighton who, you know, yes, they make signings, but they've also got that consistency, that spine through the team and whatever. So, yeah, I think uh, I think it is that, uh, that, that, that that things are starting to come together for West Ham. I think their home form has been pretty good. So that's that's been one of their, what's been one of the, the things that uh, has really, has really helped them. Alongside their new signings, though, Loney, Lisa Evans have, well, she played a pivotal role in this fixture. And when she's on the pitch and not injured for this West Ham side, she always seems to put in solid performances. Her contract is coming up at the end of this season at Arsenal. Where do you think she is going to be next season? It seems to be the question on everyone's lips, especially with her link to Viviana Miedemar too. I think because she's having such an impact, I think she should think of our options of staying at West Ham. Um, I mean, if you're playing well like that and you're, and you're happy, happy in your life, then I think you've got to go with the flow and just go for it. Hmm. So, yeah, I think there's a chance that she will stay at West Ham. I think one of the reasons you see loanees do stay on at clubs is, you know, I mean, there's a reason that they go out on loan in the first place, you know, if they're not, uh, you know, not getting in or not happy or whatever, or not, you know, or there's other people coming in to take their place, they will go out and play football, be happy. And yeah, like, as you said, Charlotte, it's, it's, it's all about how you feel inside yourself. If, and also if, if, like, you know, if you play, if you're happy in yourself, you're going to play better. I think that's the, the important thing. Mm-hmm. As long as the We Play Strong vlogs keep coming, I don't mind. She can go anywhere. It's all good. That little bundle of joy always lights up my Tuesday. Arsenal, though, will have been glued to their TV screens on Sunday afternoon, though, as it looked like Chelsea might slip up away at Spurs, especially after they went down to 10 players. They fell behind 1-0 due to Sophie Ingles' own goal after a Molly Bartrip's wicked corner hit the post and then it hit Ingle and went into the back of the net. Guru Wrighton, though, equalised. There was some debate over whether Wrighton meant it as a cross or a shot, but it went in nonetheless. 
but there looked like there was a potential turning point when goalkeeper and Katrin Berger brought down Rachel Williams outside the box. Even though it looked like it was going away from the goal, Berger was shown a straight red card. We don't get many of those in the WSL, so that was interesting to see. This didn't deter the Blues, though, who got a vital second through Sam Kerr before, in the 94th minute, Jesse Fleming's screamer made it safe. Emma Hayes said afterwards that the performance ranked right up there and Erin Cuthbert said she was the most proud of this performance that she put in of any she's ever had in her life. Charlotte, this was a massive punch in the gut for Arsenal, wasn't it? They would have been willing their North London rivals mm-hmm. <laughs> like to get that win. What do you, what's it like sitting on the sidelines and hoping for other teams to drop points? Well, I know fine well because obviously I'm a big follower of Gates of this season and we're trying to make, we're hoping for Brackley to lose points. Um, but yeah, like you're on the edge of your seat all of the time. And I think the way that that game was going, 1-1, and then all of a sudden the goalkeeper got sent off, you, you will think that Spurs are going to take it. And especially with their form at the moment, they've made so, so many improvements. Uh, I was actually watching the game and I thought Spurs was going to have, have this game. But for Chelsea, it just shows the type of team that they are, how strong they are mentally and physically to come back and take like take the game in their hands in the second half. They had all of the control in the second half with 10 players. Um, and that just shows the quality of team that they are. Yeah, Andrew, were you disappointed with Spurs' performance? Because they really didn't seem to go for it with the extra player they had. Or do you think it's being harsh to say that because of obviously the calibre in the Chelsea side? I mean, for a start, what a cross, what a header from Sam Kerr. Let's uh, let's 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 first of all, uh, and the third goal, of course, which made it safe. But as, as Charlotte quite rightly points out, I think that that Sam Kerr goal, given the situation, was that was the the the, the, the killer. Um, you know, even when you, even though you're facing 10, it's like, well, now they've turned it around. It's almost worse psychologically. You don't go, oh yeah, we could score twice against them with 10 players. So and I just think it shows, you know, the brilliance of Emma Hayes. I, I wouldn't be at all surprised, even though you say chess quite rightly, that there's not many um, straight red shown in, in the WSL. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if she's drilled, you know, 10 players, you know, situations with them. Um, you know, I mean, you know, they should do. Every team should do, but it just comes up and so rarely that, that that sometimes you could be forgiven for not doing that. But I wouldn't be surprised if they if they are they all so, they're so tactically everything's so tactically driven into them, um, and they you know that that's why you know Chelsea pull out the results they do in those big games because you know Champions League final apart, uh, they are all they all know exactly what they want, where they need to be, what they need to be doing. Um, yes, they've got the individual quality, which does help in those moments. You know, Sam Kerr's header could have been straight to the goalkeeper if it had been someone else, or it could have been, you know, um, or the cross could have been over here or whatever. Um, and you, if it doesn't matter whether you're down to 10. If you've got the ball out wide and there's space to cross the ball in and you've got a striker and could have put it away, it doesn't matter whether you've got 10 or not. But the very fact they can do it for that length of time. I have to say, just very quickly... Um, I'm in the camp that it shouldn't have been a red card. I do understand that it was quite a, 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 a ugly challenge, um, and you could make an argument for it being red for um, for being with excessive force. If that's because it's a careless, rec- careless is a warning, reckless is a yellow card, excessive force is a red. But in terms of denying a goal scoring opportunity, the general advice for referees is if it's going away from goal you know, it's very unlikely, you know, you're narrowing the angle considerably and with two or three defenders rushing back, it's not about denying a goal scoring opportunity, it's denying a clear goal scoring opportunity. And I don't think necessarily that it should have been a red card on that basis, but I think you can make an argument for saying she was, you know, on a common sense basis, you could say, well, she deserved the red card because she came out, <laughs> mm. came out with arms and legs everywhere and, and, and could have caused injury. And if you want to make a case on that, I would agree. But it's not like she's not got away with it before. This was actually an almost identical tackle to one that she did in the Arnold Clark Cup against Canada, which got no cards whatsoever. It was it was found to be a free kick. You can go watch watch them back. They're almost identical, which I found very interesting. You know, like I'm one of these players where I don't argue with the referee's decision. You've just got to, you've just got to go with the flow and get on with it. And I, I absolutely loved the interview with Emma Hayes after the um, after the game of adapting to adversity and like that's why I think you can applaud Chelsea because they've had the sending off they've adapted straight away and they've accepted the situation. You can sit and you can dwell on it and it, the longer you take to dwell on it, you're not going to be able to bounce back. And I think where you look at Spurs, 
yeah, yeah, you you should be disappointed. They've had the upper hand and they've not acted on it. And I appreciate, Chess, your question to me was about Spurs. I think, you know, yes, you can be disappointed in the sense that they, they had time to grasp the net or everything else. I think they that is the next part of their development. And I think Rianne Skinner is quite honest about that, that they are there, but not as the phrase goes thereabouts if you follow me they are mm. they are or maybe they're the other way around they're thereabouts but they're not quite there they need to have that next stage development whereby they say actually do you know what we are capable of living with these teams 11 versus 11 let's so when we go when they go down to 10 let's really go on the front foot let's keep the ball well let's use it well let's be progressive let's get it up the pitch quicker move the ball quicker exploit the spaces make the pitch bigger etc cetera, etc cetera. and they just didn't do that Chelsea were far too organized for them Interestingly, part two of this fixture, because of the joy of COVID cancellations, is coming this Thursday at Kings Meadow. So we are going to have a replay of this to see when it's 11-11 again, whether Tottenham can get anything from it. Chelsea is probably going to have the upper hand, though, again, over Spurs, as they've as if they can beat them with 10, then they probably will beat them with 11. Charlotte, as a player, if you're playing a team in quick succession, if you've lost the first game, how do you go into the second one funny enough it's all about character and I think this is where you do get get to see the players who have got character and I mean I I would like to call myself quite charismatic and we actually done that with Liverpool just before Christmas and we played them in the air in the league we got B3-1 and then we played them soon after in the cup and we we took we took everyone's characters and we uplifted everyone to make sure we were ready for this game. And I think this is going to be the test now to see if Spurs do have character. Hmm. It's funny how you're talking about teams who are nearly there, but not there enough, because the next co- uh, fixture that we're covering is off to the Midlands as a nil-nil draw put United's hope for third place or a third place finish in jeopardy as Aston Villa held off the Red Devils. It was a mix of a very solid defensive performance from the Villains and sloppy attacks from United, which held them to goallessness after 90 minutes. This is now United's sixth draw of the season. It is the most out of any WSL side. Villa's second keeper, Sam Rogers, had a solid performance, despite it being nearly 600 days since her last FA WSL start. This now means that City must drop points for United to clinch that third place spot as the Sky Blues have a game in hand. Are United a team that will forever be fourth? How can they stop being chronically fourth place in the WSL, Andrew? What do they need to do to get to break into that top three? I think they need I think they need uh, Chelsea Arsenal and Man City's not quite as good. Um <laughs> I mean they are they are if you like in the men's game or to what the men's game were with Arsenal a few years ago Arsenal were perennially fourth. Um I think uh, I think the Manchester United men would uh, would take bite your arm off for fourth but when you look at United Mark Skinner was quite interesting he didn't seem to he didn't seem to in the little snippet of the interview I saw on the women's football show last night he didn't seem to be kind of that you know, he took it all in his stride. He said, look, well, you know, as long as the players are learning, as long as they're building, you know, we're creating something here. You know, I don't know if that's quite necessarily the reaction that, that a lot of United fans would have hoped for, a nil-nil draw away at Aston Villa. Um, no team has every right, any you know, right to win every single game they go into. Sometimes why teams slip up, you know, if you think you're just going to turn up and roll teams over. Villa don't score enough goals, but they do work hard off the ball um you know that's gonna be their next challenge is 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 rather like brighton had to a few years ago brighton were quite good defensively and, and maybe didn't score enough goals now they're a little bit better at that um villa that's villa's next step um car under carl award to, to, to get more threat in their attack but yeah i mean i thought sean uh, rogers did fantastically well um some unorthodox saves in there occasionally and you know last ditch blocks from her defenders but yeah uh united couldn't break through and that should i think be a worry Mm. Do you not just think interviews like that, like Mark Skinner saying, as long as we're learning, it's just a way to brush off uh, being accountable for things that actually they need to address? Um, I mean, like I say, if they're up there competing with the top, they need to address the fine details. And that's the only way that they're going to actually get up there. Yeah, I think that's that's a fair comment. Um, you always wonder, don't you, when you hear managers speak, are they saying something different to the players? Um, inside, you know, into the dressing room. Um, 
but is it a case of you know we you know I don't want to tear into them I'll tear into them in private but then fans do need to see it fans are not stupid fans will go you know as I say they don't they, they don't have a right to beat Aston Villa away from home but they should expect you know they should expect if, the, if Villa aren't going to score they should expect to win the game is in, in my view they should expect to to to, to not um, be shut out um even as an Aston Villa fan I'll admit that um but you know it's it's the situation of the two teams and I think Charlotte you're right I mean obviously Villa and Brighton and teams and Reading like that they do give the top teams a bit of a problem but they gave Arsenal a problem for about an hour uh, when mm-hmm. they played them at home and Arsenal eventually found a way through it and I think they're, therein lies the difference I think that's the thing. It's the sort of it was the sort of game I did watch the whole thing. It was the sort of game where on another day it would have been 3-0. It would have been 4-0 if the stars aligned and everything went right and there wasn't goal line clearances and all of that sort of thing. I was actually on the um the All for United fan cast the other week speaking about this exact thing. How do United get out of being chronically fourth place? And it's just like they have the ability to win matches. They have the ability to hold teams like Arsenal as they've done both in the League Cup and also the league this year. But that's when the stars align and everything goes right. It's building the club to get to the point where things can go wrong in a game and they still are coming out with a victory. I mean, they beat Aston Villa 5-0 at home earlier on in the season. It's fair enough to kind of expect a little bit more from this fixture. But what it doesn't matter if you were... Mark Skinner or the directors of the club if there was one thing that you could do to United right now to stop them being chronically fourth place Charlotte what do you think you would do I mean you look you've got to look at their squad and they've got the talent but they haven't necessarily got experience and I think when you look at things when things go wrong and we talk about character before who is there any players there who can adapt to situations and be able to get that win when things aren't going wrong. When you're not got a look, when you haven't got a little bit of luck, it's all about creating your luck, and that comes from that character. So mm. for me, I think they need to bring in experience. You look at Arsenal, you look at Chelsea, you look at Man City. They've got the depth, they've got the mixture of youth and experience, and I think that's where they're going to step their level up if they do decide to bring experienced players in. And, and just one final thing on on Man United. I think people will know I love my stats uh, uh, in terms of away games for Man United in the Super League. Uh, one win in the last five away games, which isn't good enough to bridge that gap. No, def- definitely not. And also, just before we move on, I want to say that it was a really strong performance from Villa because we've been criticised on this pod before for not talking about Aston Villa enough. Who was the standout performance for you, Andrew, from their squad? For me, it was Rusha Littlejohn. She absolutely controlled the midfield and she got herself in front of the ball many times when United were on the attack. So just quickly before we go on, who was your standout performance? I'm gonna I'm gonna say Sean Rogers just because uh, as we mentioned you know hasn't played a lot in ages um, so that would that will give her a, a, a that will do her a world of good um, so yeah but I think Sean uh, Sean you know Hannah Hampton's obviously been brilliant but uh, but Sean Rogers did really well stepping in and for the final WSL game of the weekend. Everton took on Arsenal at Walton Park as the Gunners hung on to their title hopes for dear life by beating Everton 3-0. Caitlin Ford put Arsenal ahead just before the break, connecting with a looping assist from Leah Williamson. And after halftime, both Beth Mead and Jordan Nobbs scored their 50th WSL goals. Beth Mead's assist of Jordan Nobbs' goal also puts her at the top of the all-time leading assist table in the WSL. Not much to say about Everton's performance, though. Unfortunately, they had one shot in the entire game, but it was on target. So applaud them for that. Andrew, it was good to see Jordan Nobbs getting on the score sheet and you could really see in her celebration how much it meant for her. She's really struggled for minutes this season. I don't think that's too out there to say. Do you think she's going to stay at Arsenal if the season ends or does she not fit into Jonas's vision? Well, in a sense, uh, I guess it depends on. Well, it depends on a lot of things. It depends on if she's happy to be a cog, you know, a cog in the wheel. We've just discussed that about you know how much playing time you're getting and, and everything else. Um, and it's about how Arsenal see. I imagine that they've already had a discussion with her, maybe, or at least certainly planned to in the coming weeks to sit her down. I mean, you know, it's it, every club talks to all their players, but someone like Jordan Nobbs, so experienced, you know, had such a great career, you know, you're going to want to to outline for her what 
the plans are next season. And, you know, it looks like, who knows, Chelsea might nick the title. How do Arsenal, if they do that, how do Arsenal then make the progression to the next level? You know, and where does Jordan fit into that? So it'll be an interesting one, put it that way, to see where she is uh, come August, September. Mm. It's a waiting game for Arsenal now. They're out of the FA Cup. They didn't win the League Cup. And the WSL title is their only chance of silverware this season. And they're only going to get that if Chelsea slip up. Charlotte, they've had a few years without kind of getting getting some silverware, even with the amount of talent that they do have. Do they deserve a trophy at the end of this season? Absolutely. They definitely deserve a trophy. Um, and I think it'll come. It will come as long as they just be patient. And I mean, you look at the type of season that they've had this year. They've been outstanding. There's no doubt that they're going to take that type of season in the next season as well. And some, if it doesn't happen this season, it's bound to happen next season. It's whether they've got enough time to be able to argue that anymore with the squad that they have. But to be fair, they have just recently announced quite a few contract extensions, even though they never say for how long for, which I always find interesting at Arsenal. But elsewhere in the championship, it was party time at Prenton Park as Liverpool picked up the championship trophy and did so in style by beating Sheffield United 6-1. Katie Stengel and Leanne Kiernan had the Reds 2-0 up at the break. Mel Lawley grabbed a third shortly after before Stengel grabbed her second and Missy Bokerns and Jasmine Matthews added more goals. Charlotte, Liverpool have seemed to be the best team by a mile this season and the, they were worthy winners in the end. What do you think about the championship this season? Um, I think they were clear winners all along. I mean, obviously at Sunderland, playing against them, um, you could see that they had a real depth in their squad, experienced, professional. Um, yeah, clear winners and very proud that we beat them. <laughs> fair enough fair enough um it's down at the down at the bottom though where the real interest lies as just two points separate Watford and Coventry United Coventry are still bottom and still unbeaten as well and they beat lose 1-0 thanks to Katie Wilkinson penalty in the 71st minute Watford went down 2-1 at Crystal Palace Molly May Sharp scored two in the first half, but Gemma Davidson got a goal back nine minutes from time to give Watford a light line. Blah, blah, blah. Sorry. Molly May Sharp scored two in the first half, but Gemma Davidson got a goal back nine minutes from time to give Watford a lifeline, but it wasn't enough. It's the final game of the season next weekend, which sees Watford host Coventry United. So it goes right down to the wire. Andrew and Charlotte, it may have been decided at the top, but what about drama at the bottom? I'm just going to say now, you don't need to give any elaboration at all. No elaboration. I want straight off the cuff. Charlotte, Andrew, who is going down? Uh, Watford. Watford. Oh, <laughs> they said it. Um, what an absolutely brilliant story it will be if Coventry can stay up, especially with the difficulties they've had this season. And, and can I just say as well, and obviously Charlotte can give her reasons to show, which I know Chessie said don't do, but uh, um, I, for me, that's it's also not that's not it's not the story that is is me saying Watford. Uh, you look at I think we mentioned this on the pod recently. You know Coventry's form is up there uh, with. I mean they are. It's only Liverpool who have got better form over the last six games. Uh, Liverpool and Coventry are both unbeaten in the last six games. Um, the, the the momentum is with Coventry. Coventry beat Lewis. Um, you know, Lewis are a, 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 I know it's going to be away from home at Watford. Lewis are a good side. They're trailing off a little bit now. The season's done for them. They're probably on the beach already. But, um, but you know, the, the Coventry have beaten with all due respect to Watford. And I, you know, I know some people at Watford and, and they're a good club and they're, they're, you know, they've had a bit of a difficult time since coming up. But uh, Coventry have beaten better sides than Watford, if I'm honest, in the last few weeks. And you just get the sense that everything's going Coventry's way. Everything's coming up Coventry. Charlotte, feel free to elaborate, but also you don't have to because I don't want you to have to step on any toes so we can cut this this bit out. Honestly, like I'm so proud of how well Sunderland have done this season. I mean, I know I left in January, but I've got no bitterness towards the club or anything. It was purely personal reasons. But Sunderland, we were actually, we had the worst budget in the league. And we were part-time and not just when it comes to budget you also have to think of all the away games that you have to cover as well as staff costs as well as player costs 
We've got a lot of London away trips. We were newly promoted into this league. Watford were also newly promoted into this league. They've had a better budget than Sunderland. They've not had as many long away trips as Sunderland did. Coventry were full-time. So I'm purely going Watford because we were both Sunderland and Watford, the two newly promoted sides, and Sunderland, we've done amazing. Mm. And it has to be said, of course, Charlotte, it's fair to say, I think, obviously, Sunderland in that COVID season in the in the Northern Premier Division hadn't, you know, hadn't really made a, a, as good a fist of it as you had the previous couple of years, but took the promotion. And, you know, I know it's easier to attract better players in the Championship, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, when you compare it to Watford, who are up there in the Southern Premier Division for a good couple of seasons, uh, you know, the difference between the two teams, you know, not knocking Watford, obviously said they're a great club, but, you know, Sunderland have, have really looked like they belong at that level. But it's also hard to attract players, I mean, as well, when you're up north and there's not that much up here in terms of women's football. There's only the likes of Durham and Sunderland who are championship. There's no Super League clubs. Um, and like I say, there's no full-time structure up here yet. So clubs are heavily heavily relying on the youth players. And we spoke about it earlier where you need that mix. You need that mix of experience and youth for the talent, but also the character to be able to adapt to adversity so I'm obviously still for all the Sunderland fans if any Sunderland fans do listen to this I obviously still wanted us to do well this season and I think going back to the mix of youth and experience that's going to be interesting about Liverpool is to see what they do in the summer with Mark Beard and everything else and 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 what players they, they can bring in um, you know, because that's 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 when you get that's the really exciting but also stressful challenge is when you've earned promotion and you you've put, <laughs> almost had it in the bag for you know you can pl- plan for months and months and months, but it's about getting it right. <laughs> well, and sometimes you've seen teams actually when they've planned at the last minute that can be when it's better because you just suddenly go yeah uh, them them and them and it suddenly comes together. Whereas if you overthink it, to know. It's it's almost like going back to what we were saying at the start with the Barcelona manager, allow allowing and facilitating the players to do their brilliant stuff, and that's when things kind of all come together. Moving on to the National League, and it's Southampton who are champions of the National League South. They secured promotions by beating local rivals Portsmouth two nil at St Mary's on Wednesday evening, thanks to goals from Sophia Faro and Lucia Kendall. They followed that up with a victory in the FA Women's National League Cup final on Sunday, beating Huddersfield 3-0. They'll play Wolves in the final for promotion to the Championship on the 21st of May. And we're going to look at all of the promotions and relegations in all of the leagues next week. In other news, though, with the Euros fast approaching, there's been criticism over some of the grounds that have been picked. Lyon's Icelandic international, Sara Björk Gunnarsdottir, has criticised the fact the sides have to play two games at the Manchester City Academy Stadium, saying it will be like playing a training ground, and also saying it's disrespectful to the women's game and a step back. Even though it's a small ground, it only holds 4,700 people. It is still a great facility, and that's what the FA has come out and said. But Andrew, do you think she's got a point? Do you think they've undersized some of the stadiums? Because the ones at the Academy Stadium have sold out. Yeah, I can I can sort of understand her point in terms of from the outside against the backdrop of, like we mentioned about the new camp and 90 odd thousand people. It doesn't look great. What I would say, of course, is that tournament organisers, and that's the same in any sport for a big tournament. We see it with the Olympics as well. They are terrified of empty seats. And so a 100% or 95% full uh, capacity stadium for a small stadium is better than, you know, the same figure in a, in a slightly larger stadium where it might be half full um, because it looks, it will just look different. And you can't necessarily gauge that in advance. You might argue that there's perhaps more of an appetite down south, I don't know, than in the northwest. Um, and of course, this is Manchester City's ground for, you know, it's there, belongs to them and it's their stadium. It's where they're going to play. They're not going to play at the Etihad. Um but not having it sort of sat next to the Etihad doesn't help. Um, but yeah, no, it, or is that the same different stadium? Hang on a minute, I'm trying to work that out. That no, it's the same one. Yeah, it's, it's not. The same it's... One. Um, but it's, and I understand the whole balance of trying to get big grounds. I compare it to the, there was a bit of a, a similar protest, if you like, about the rugby men's rugby union world cup a few years ago. And that tended, that came from rugby fans because what they chose to do, the organizers was use some football stadiums, including the Amex at Brighton. Um, and some rugby stadiums were, were you know, pre- premiership rugby stadiums were ignored. 
And the reason for that is, well, the football stadiums are bigger. They've got bigger, you know, some of them are out of town, like Blightly Amex, for example, bigger facilities, car parking, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that was the opposite. That's, that was the opposite reason, though. They wanted more people in and better facilities for the, um, you know, for the big weeks, if you like. I do wonder whether this does strike a little bit of the tournament being a little bit acting a little bit small time, even though it isn't. Um, and I, I worry a little bit that, that that is what it's seen to be. Sometimes perception is more important than reality. The reality might be, you know, you get a 20,000 seat stadium and it's half full. Well, 10,000 people is bigger than 4,000, but 10,000 in a 20,000 seat stadium doesn't look as good. There is the issue. So I don't know. Um, in a sense, it'll be, I'm going on and on about it, but it'll be soon forgotten once the tournament starts, once those games at the Academy Stadium are out of the way. Then, um, you know, and, and um, you know, I think, I think the tournament will be fine. We'll all remember the big occasions at the big stadiums. That'll be the thing. Definitely. And now Old Trafford has sold out. Wembley sold out just hours after the tickets went on general sale. All of the England fixtures have been sold out. And we here at the Women's Football Podcast are going to be doing some really fun things during the Euros, which I'm super excited for. So please keep tuned in to hear when we can finally talk about what we are going to be doing. Before we end, though, today, Charlotte, can you let us know what you're going to be doing? Have you got any big big plans are you going to be the new England women's manager tell us what what have you got going on <laughs> I wish um well I'm just going to take my time to decide on what's best for me for next season obviously with the type of season that I've had this year my plan is to take action in the summer and make sure I am ready and robust for next season and I will be available and I do want to stay in England I know we talked about uh, last time about being abroad and things like that, but definitely want to be in the face of the air uh, of of English football. Uh, are you are, are you without wanting to put words into your mouth? Are you wedded to the to the northeast, or are you prepared to go anywhere in England? What's your feeling? I'm prepared to go elsewhere in England. Okay, so you should be the phone will be will be red hot after people hear that. I was, I was about to say, it'll be buzzing after you go on the Women's Football Podcast. All of the scouts that are listening, you know you know where to find your next star player. And you are always, of course, welcome here at the Women's Football Podcast. Thank you to both of you for coming on this week. It is brilliant as always. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at TWFP1 and on Instagram at the Women's Football Podcast to, and give us a like. If you want to hear about what we are going to be doing in the Euros over the summer, which I'm super excited for, keep involved. We will all see you very, very soon. Thank you very much. Bye.